Want to be a voice actor and book more gigs? Then watch the free Intro to Voice Acting class at voiceoverchampions.com. Change into voiceover champions to save the voiceover world. Hey there, this is voice actor Joshua Seth, your host for VoiceOver Champions. And today I'm interviewing Brian Beacock. He tells a really interesting story about getting his start up at Universal Studios in Hollywood in a live show with a bunch of other famous voice actors. I don't want to ruin the surprise for you, but apparently this kind of gave a start to a lot of people whose voices you would be familiar with. And he's not the only one. I know Bob Bergen, the voice of Porky Pig, got his start as a tour guide up at Universal Studios and several of these other voice actors that Brian mentions on this podcast did as well. And as we head toward the final weeks of 2022, I did just want to thank everybody that has come out to see me at Comic-Cons and conventions this year. I never really did the convention circuit ever in my career. I appeared here and there mostly for international conventions where I could get a cool free vacation out of it. I've done Comic-Cons in Australia twice, New Zealand twice, and even once in Edinburgh, Scotland, but I never really did the United States Comic-Con circuit until the last six months, and I've just been blown away by the fan support. So we got a lot more of them booked in 2023. I just updated my personal website, joshuaseth.com. If you click on appearances, you can see my schedule for 2023, at least the cons that I am able to announce so far in the first quarter. I can tell you I've got almost 30 cons booked for 2023 already. And by my count, I did 19 conventions just in the past few months. So this has really taken off and it's entirely because of you guys, because of the fan support. And it's one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast because so many of you come up to me at these conventions and ask, how can I get into voice acting? I really want to do this. I don't even know where to start. And that sort of kicked off this whole podcast. But my real answer to that question is always going to be the free video that I made on intro to voice acting. So if that's you, if you're interested in pursuing voice acting in 2023, and if that's like your New Year's resolution, head on over to voiceoverchampions.com and watch that video. For everybody else that just likes listening because you love voice actors and want to hear their stories, you'll hear some really interesting ones on today's episode. Everything from playing 39 parts in one play, to connecting with voice actors through a live production of Beetlejuice, to going on the road as Barney for 15 years, all that and more in our talk today. Brian Beacock has been a voice actor for over 30 years. He's also a writer, singer, and producer of an Emmy award-winning television series. But despite all that, he's probably best known as both the voice of Octagawa and Monokuma, as well as Takato on Digimon. So let's talk to Brian Beacock. Hey, Brian Beacock. Hello, Joshua Seth, the legend you the are. The legend. Uh, that's what I keep hearing. I figure if you do enough work and you live long enough, then people start calling you <laughs> the legend. So. Yes. Right, right. So you have that to look forward to. I don't know who's older. but uh, I'm older. You, are you? Okay, I'll take it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And you know, like we've worked on a lot of projects together over the years, but I don't know that we ever actually met. I don't think we have. I don't know what 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 projects you saw, but I saw Duel Masters. Do you remember oh, that yeah. show? Well, I was the lead on it. I was Shobu. Kajuta. Yeah. I, I don't even know who I was. Oh, okay. I have no idea you, who I was you on just that. were on an episode somewhere along. No, I was. It was a was... million years ago. Yeah, that was a big show. Like I, I was just signing Shobu for Duel Masters at a con over the weekend. Actually, people wow, love that, that show. Was that right? Yeah, it wasn't on that long because it came out at the same time as Yu-Gi-Oh, and of course, the Yu-Gi-Oh card game took off more so than the Duel Masters card game. But Duel Masters was like Baby Magic: The Gathering. So if they had just been more overt about the fact that it's actually oh. Magic the Gathering, I think it would have taken on. Because <laughs> the fans tell me that all the time, as, as though as the main character, as though I didn't know. But they just didn't address it in the show. But this is not right. about me, Brian. This is your episode. This is okay, about okay, you. Okay. I mean, we were on Digimon together, but we were on different seasons. Right? right? You came in later. Yeah. And, and you did it. Uh, more recently, right? You've you've done it the last I, couple of years. Is that correct? I've played Ty all the way through since 99 to 2020. Yeah, I did, I did it on the series. I, I did him in the original Digimon the movie. I voiced Ty in all six of the Digimon tries and in Digimon Last Evolution Kazuna that came out uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So yeah, straight through. That'll be, that'll be on my tombstone. That's amazing. Here, here lies the voice of Ty. <laughs> and then know. you can push a button on the tombstone. And it'll say, let's go. Digimon, Digivolve. And I just interviewed Tom Fawn, oh which was the, yeah, yeah. the primary voice of Agumon, the, uh, my Agumon. That's right. You know, it's funny. When, when I started Digimon, uh, I didn't know what Digimon was. I, I hadn't watched Digimon. I, I, I was a, a speed racer guy growing up, so... Um, mm. And when it went to season five, and you I are got Digimon old. Data Squad as as Agumon, <laughs> I'm old, right? Yeah. Um, I started watching TV when I was one, so. Um, mm. But I didn't know that Agumon existed. Now this happens a lot with us as voice actors, right? But I didn't know that I was like Agumon 2.0. So. Right. Um, of course, the fans will tell you right away. They'll tell you right away. So yeah. 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 You're not the real Agumon. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Exactly. I had but, a nickel. Uh, but yeah, take what you can get. So I like to start things out here by talking about what is your origin story. I mean, take that as you will, as an actor, as a voice actor. Most of us as voice actors were actors on the stage. And I know you were in musical theater, as I was originally. But uh, yeah, tell us the Brian Beacock origin story. <laughs> yes. So uh, from the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and I did a lot of theater, a lot, a lot of... Uh, stand-in work and extra work on on movies i think the first movie i did was howard the duck terrible movie it was too bad i remember that to movie so fun. yeah 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 was the first job i ever had as an extra i was a dancer in the music video and all that stuff so i knew okay. i wanted to be in show business right but i wanted to be in movies and tv and on the closest camera. thing you could do yeah on camera the closest thing you could do as a kid or coming from the bay area not hollywood whatever was to mm -hmm. do theater you know uh, so i did lots of theater um, probably, I think it was 23 years old. I auditioned for the touring company of Les Miserables. I saw I that. Did you tour all that. over the country with that then? So no, we were a sit down tour, which was amazing. So I got to work what? for a year and a half in San Francisco as a sit down tour. So it was considered a tour, but we never left. How is it a tour um, if you're in one place? Uh, 
I'm sure it has to do with what they pay and what the contracts are. You okay. know what I mean? Like it's a technical. I'm term. sure it has to do with yeah. yeah, it's per diem and all that and housing. That's what it is. Uh, uh, but but I you was did so the San Francisco production of Lemis. What'd you play? San Francisco production. I was Babe and 38 other people, which ba basically led to how the rest of my career would go, playing multiple characters. So I spent Wait more a second. time uh, and under 38 other people. You were 39 characters. Oh yeah, in, in, in the same play. More time back at the same time. Yeah, you're, you're, you're changing clothes more than you're on stage. For sure. There is. Hey, there's a there's a play like that's a detective play. I think it might be called the 39 Steps. Where 39 one, Steps. Yeah, right. Where one actor plays all 39 parts. That could have been it's, you. It's actually four four people, and I think they play seventy five people. That's I saw it what in it, I saw it on Broadway a long time ago. Yeah, so good, so funny. But I mean, so I got Les Mis, and I thought, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to go to L.A. and become a movie star, TV star. Of course, sure. in L.A., they don't they don't care about theater, right? They're like, yeah. you know, well, what sitcom have you been on? So I struggled a while uh, um, when I first got to L.A. Don't you know who I am? Exactly. I am the Brian Beak Beacock from like, from Le Mis, I I, the touring production that only went to the San oh Francisco Bay Area. For God's sakes, I booked a TV show, a, for my first uh, TV movie um, on Fox. Uh, uh, like Fox had just started as a network, and I remember the casting director say, "You're great in this role, blah blah blah," but we really liked your coat. I had this long, beautiful trench coat, and she loved my coat, and I think that's why I got cast. So stupid, but that's okay. Me. Right. That's a uh, new one. Anyway, I've never so, heard somebody being cast because of their coat. Oh, my coat. gosh. Yeah. I've seen people kicked out of auditions, dance auditions, because they're wearing purple, and the choreographer hates the color purple. All kinds of uh -huh. stuff. L.A., stupid people. Um, so I, Well, that's I in New York, Universal too. I mean, if you Studios. watch the Bob Fosse movie, uh, uh, all that jazz, right? <laughs> like, yeah. he, had to, he had to cut people from those auditions just for any reason or no reason whatsoever. <laughs> dance is tough. I would say dance is... One of the toughest uh, roads to to go in for the performing arts. It's, yeah, it's I so up, I so intense. Shoes. Yeah, yeah. You hung up your your tap shoes. Yeah, my tap shoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started working at Universal Studios uh, in the Beetlejuice Rock and Graveyard Review Show as as um, Phantom of the Opera. I saw that now, too. Yeah, yeah. Now I did this with. Wally Winger as Beetlejuice, Holy Mary Elizabeth cannolis. McGlynn as what? Bride of Frankenstein, uh, Neil what Kaplan year? worked there in the park. Uh, this was uh, 2001, maybe, I started. That, I was there for yeah. 15 years. But Wait a second, and um, Neil Kaplan was in it too? Neil Cap, no, he was, uh, I think it was a tour guide or he worked in another show. I think okay. he might have been a, a, park, a park entertainment. A lot of people, right? Wayne Brady, yeah. if you know Wayne Brady. Uh, he was in the Beetlejuice show. He was in uh, the Stand Up uh, Brothers. Yeah, yeah, improv mm -hmm. guy, uh, good friend of mine. So I knew him before he was, you know, Wayne Brady. D Wayne Brady. Um, D Wayne Brady. So great, great experience. And I started auditioning for more TV and film. And Mary Elizabeth was directing Digimon. Yeah, I was going to say, or, how or was anime. she even in a cast? In 2001, because she was already voice acting and directing at that point. I was already working with so her, I think, the, at that point. Yeah, absolutely. At Universal, you know, you would do like five shows a day, four days a week. And you could take one or two shows off to go audition for a movie, go shoot a sitcom, take a week off and come back to this great paying job. We were making so much money hmm. singing and dancing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So people sure. kept that job. And you're and in entertainment and, and you're doing live theater in a way, at least L.A. version. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of ideal. Yeah. 
and working with people that are that are in the industry. And as you know, if you're around a lot of people auditioning and working, it kind of like begets more work and more of information. And Wally Winger right? is such a he's such a bright light <laughs> as a voice yes. actor. I mean, he could do anything. Oh my gosh, he was such a funny Beetlejuice. So, uh, so I used I was to, doing I used play. to see, I used to live right around there, and I mean, I, I lived in Toluca Lake, like walking distance from Warner Brothers Animation. So I would, I yeah. would drive by the entrance to Universal, oftentimes on on my way back from the studios, and occasionally I would see someone, maybe it was Wally, dressed up as Beetlejuice on a motorcycle, on Ventura Boulevard. No, I think Full that costume. was probably just an, an oddball. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think, Maybe it, it I don't is think LA. Universal would yeah. let the costume out. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, it looks perfect. Yeah. He's going to Hollywood Boulevard to take photos and for his gig, right? Maybe, maybe. Uh, oh, my gosh. So I was doing a play. I was doing a lot of, the lot of theater in LA, and I was doing a play called Fully Committed, which uh, 10 years ago or whatever Jesse Tyler Ferguson did on Broadway, but it had been done prior to that. It's a one-man show about a New York reservation clerk in the basement of this of this restaurant in New York. I'm going to lose uh, the whole voiceover audience for this podcast by talking about theater. No, but I'm going for no, it. Let's do it. Here we go. Here we go. So, theater. What's happening? It was 32 characters with no costume and no uh, one set, but no costume or anything like that. You just had to change all the characters with your voice. Ah. So it was an hour and a half of just me on stage taking all these phone calls from people doing all these different 32 different voices. Oh, that sounds great. So difficult. So difficult. Um, I was really excited to get the gig. And mm -hmm. Mary Elizabeth came and saw the show. And she said, you know, I'm auditioning this, this new show and seeing all these voices you do. I think you might be right for it. Why don't you come and audition for it? And that was Takato in Digimon. So when I auditioned for Takato... I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know how to dub. I hadn't done that much animation before. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was a great director and I auditioned and about three or four months later, they took a long time to make the decision. But once they did, I, I got to Kato. And that job, Digimon Tamers, literally is the reason I'm sitting here right now. It led, it led to, to all every, the other voiceover work. It, it completely did by, by way of uh, producers and directors, but friendships and, and just notoriety, et cetera. It, uh, I'm still doing conventions because of it. So that is probably one of the most important uh, jobs I've, I've ever had as a voice actor. Wow. What would you say you're most known as as a voice actor at these conventions and, and cameo and so forth? I mean, currently, it's probably uh, Monokuma from the Danganronpa games. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I did all the Danganronpa games. So he's really popular right now, Monokuma. And then, of course, uh, Octagawa from Bungo Stray Dogs. Um, which season four is coming up next year. We're very excited about it. But he's a great character. And he's, you know, polar opposite. Very much like this. Smoky and coughs a lot. And, and he's just awesome. He's great. So most most people want those guys. What's most of the voice work that you're currently doing? Is it anime or animation? Or are you branching it? It's, it's anime. And uh, I've done some original animation. I mean, as you know, the pay for that is really great. And, um, you know, we would all love to get a, uh, a Simpsons or Family Guy gig. But I, I kind of like made my way in the anime family and the anime world. And it's difficult to break out of that. You know, I don't do a lot of commercials. I've done some um, TV ads and stuff like that. But uh, it, it's just completely different. You know, you can you yeah. can take your reel to audition for those gigs and try to get an agent for those. But it's just a whole other group of people doing it. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's very clickish, as are most areas, or maybe all areas of entertainment. So there's an yeah. element of talent, and there's an element of connectivity. And I know when I went to LA, I wasn't connected to anyone and built those relationships over years. It sounds like you were you were able to do that up at Universal. Correct. Yeah, Universal definitely did it. And um, I'm. But, you know, I mean, you, you know what it's like. It, you have a hundred different agents over the course of your career and things change. And the industry certainly changes for us, too, as voice actors and as actors in general. The way we used to handle getting gigs and auditioning is not the way, for the most part, the way it goes anymore. Let, so let's, let's talk oops. about that for a little bit, because this podcast, the audience are fans of voice actors, but also people that want to get into voice acting. And myself, yeah. as a guide, as someone who's been around a long time. I've been out of voice acting for 15 years. I left to go on tour with my live stage show, and I'm only coming back now because uh, you can do it from home and I want to stay home with my kids. But like, talk a little bit about the ways in which the industry has changed over the years, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, the way things used to be or the way people think things still are that may no longer be that way. Gotcha. And of course, j jump in because uh, odds are you you probably know more than I do as well. But um, not about the current so, stuff. I mean, I'm being very forthright on this podcast about uh, the journey I'm taking. Look, this this is a little technical warning to the listeners. Technical talk coming now. So like this is the yes. first podcast that I'll be recording with the audio interface, the SSL2+. Plus. And it was an interview I did a few weeks ago with Mela Lee that convinced me to get that audio interface because she was saying she previously had the Scarlet and it was no good. And I'm actually doing a series that I can't talk about, an anime series right now where the engineer said my setup is great, but I was using the Rodecaster Pro because I got it for this podcast. And he said, I literally know no voice actors that use that. So you may want to <laughs> replace the audio interface. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning from you guys as I'm interviewing you as well, because you know, back when I was doing voiceovers, not only did you not need your own home studio, you couldn't even touch anything in the studios you walked into, at least the union ones, because they uh, had people for that. Yeah, it's called getting grieved. If you touch something that doesn't belong to you, that, that is a, a union worker's uh, property. Big deal. So, yeah. But my, my thing is actually less about technical because, uh, because of the pandemic and because of some family things going on. I, I live in, in two different places. I live in the Bay Area of San Francisco and I live in LA. And so I never took the time to set up my, my setup anywhere. So I, even during the pandemic, when auditions or gigs would come in, I would go to the studio. So scary. Really? For, You're for the one. only yeah. one I've talked to. Like, even when I was doing yeah. uh, Digimon Last Evolution Kazuna at the beginning of the pandemic, they shut that studio down. And now I live in Florida now and I would fly yeah. on my own dime. I would pay for it and I would fly out to LA and I don't own a house there anymore. So I'd even pay for a hotel on my own dime, except the last, <laughs> for, I should say, to be fair, for all Digimon Try. And then for Kazuna, they, they offered uh, to pick that up, maybe because the pandemic was occurring. And, uh, and, and we were in the studio and everybody was running around with scripts at arm's length and saying, you know, stay back, stay back. And before it was even done, they shut the studios down, which is fine with me because they'd already shut all the restaurants down and I had nowhere to eat. So I, I flew back <laughs> I flew back home and I had to do the pickups and the outtakes and the last few lines and things from home. And I didn't have a studio. I just had a little $99, you know, like a, a Yeti Blue. And you never did that. You went in the whole time somehow. I went in all the time. Well, 
to be fair, there, there wasn't tons of shows that I was currently working on. I was doing a lot of one-offs. Um, I did do some stuff that I could record. It was clean enough that I could record from home and it wasn't dubbing. So it wasn't matching. It was just audio files that I they needed. So yeah, I did, you didn't that need, was easy, right? You didn't need a whole monitor and the fast internet yeah. to sync and so forth. But as far as the industry goes, I mean, and this has been going on for years with the advent of so many digital channels, the content is just going crazy. There's so much content. And because of the affordability of all the equipment, for the most part, there's a lot of talent as well. And, you know, the older you get, the older I get, the more talent is sprouting up. So it's difficult to get gigs, even though... I have been working for 30 years and I do have a, a fairly decent res, uh, resume behind me. So there's that. Um, again, the, the, the setup, the technical stuff, right now it's pretty good because most studios, a lot of engineers I've talked to, they prefer to have an actor come in. It's just more work for them to have to worry about what, a, what an actor is doing, engineering his own uh, content at home and sending it to sure. so, so even when you're in San Francisco, you'll go into a studio up there and they'll patch into a studio in LA if that's where it's originated? Yeah, I did that. I was doing a play in Boston. I did that in mm -hmm. Boston as well. Uh, but for the most part, if I'm in uh, the Bay Area with my family, I'll drive to LA for a session because I'll have an, another hundred things that I need to do in you'll LA drive? That's like an eight, nine oh, hour yeah. drive. It is, but I have a, I have a nice electric <laughs> hybrid and I love okay. it. Right. Um, but I'm telling you, the way, I mean, the, the, the pandemic was crazy for me for a bunch of things, but getting away and having that five-hour drive uh, is comforting to me. So I, I, I don't mm -hmm. mind the drive. You like And I go for time. a week and a half. And I do. I really do. Mm -hmm. but, but the industry has just gotten a lot, a lot more competitive. Um, and there's a lot of content out there. And I just find it more difficult to stay relevant I just, I used to work a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think since mm -hmm. the pandemic, I don't know if I've slowed down or uh, something slowed down. I just mm. think it really kind of like rewired me in a way. Has that happened uh, to you? No, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, I'm on a different life path. I have kids and I feel uh, very responsible for something larger than myself. I don't feel like I have the luxury of yeah. slowing down because I want to provide for my kids and also my kids want to get into this, especially my nine-year-old daughter. Oh. My 11-year-old son is an electronic musician, and I think that'll be the path he goes in. We, he's already got an album nice. streaming. Yeah, Tiger Seth streaming now. Uh, but Nikita, my Love daughter, it. could be in this, so I need to get back in to get, get her an opportunity. But also, I had been on tour when they were little. I've been on tour for years with my live show, and because I stayed home with them for a couple of years during the pandemic, um, we all got used to that. FaceTime and I, I want to keep it going and recording yeah. from home allows for that. And yeah. I know what you're saying in terms of the industry becoming more competitive because it's more accessible. But on the other hand, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like I am a much better actor now than I was, say, in my 20s because I have lived a life, not just experience on the mic, experience in life and in interpersonal relationships and and life experiences from which to draw. Completely, and I think that holds true for uh, any actor in any medium yeah, across the board, stage actor, film actor, whatever. It's like, the more you experience life, and, and, and I mean, I love to travel, and, and that helps um, just my worldview. And mm -hmm. yeah, so, so definitely. There's more and depth, I say and slow, there's more colors yeah. you can bring 
to a role. Right. It's just a more of a wealth of feeling because you've lived a life. So there might be many times more people auditioning for the role, but they don't have your life experience and they're not going to have your take on it. That's why I've never looked right, at this true. as a competitive industry in that regard. As long as you have an opportunity to audition and Correct. the skill to do well at it and now the technical facility to to do it at a, a level that is acceptable to the casting directors and producers, then you know each each person and therefore each read is going to be unique. Very, very, very true. Um, I've always said that I am I am my own competition. We are our own yes, competition, and, right. you, and you just have to do a good job. Like you may you may never be right for a role. It just may not happen. And when you don't get jobs. Uh, it, it could have nothing to do with you, but you just need to do a good job. If you do a good job, you might get called back for another role. You just, you need to be a good person. You need to be uh, responsible, respectable, reliable. All those things reliable are going to bring you. One. Right? I and mean, kind. It, and, you know, a good person to work everything. with. Mm -hmm. Yep. All that stuff. Uh, and I, when I say reliable, I mean, and responsible. I mean, like. Uh, responding to emails in timely matter, matter, sure. um, just all kinds of. There's, I mean, you know, the business of voice acting is. I don't know what percentage is actual voice acting, and the rest is management, and and I mean, it, there's so much to it, right? Well, the old trope about show business is that the word show is only half as long <laughs> as the word business, and that's about <laughs> the same for the work. Is you yeah. do twice as much work on the business as you do for the show. Yeah. And you know what? I really like it. I like marketing. I like I like management. I like uh, email chains. I like publicity. I like travel. I like touring. Like all that stuff really gets me going. But I'm partly a producer, too. So mm -hmm. all that is really in my wheelhouse. You know, that that stuff is exciting to me, not just the acting. So let's talk about that, because I know that your series uh, about the zombies uh, became yes. be became an Emmy award winning. Was it web series or? Where did, where, they where called it short called form content. Short yeah. form. Okay. And that's called Acting yeah. Dead. Uh, tell Acting us a little dead. bit about that. And you're working on another season for that series now? We're working on another season. Yeah. We've got, we've got some people up, up in Canada that we're talking to and a couple other uh, platforms that maybe would want to fund season two. But uh, so I'd done a couple of web series with some friends and, and was kind of in the web uh, world. Um, web fests and all that stuff. And I thought, I want to do something that's really like a TV show. I want to shoot it like a TV show. I want to produce it like a TV show. And uh, so I wrote this show about zombies in Hollywood, basically actors that are, that are so bad that they can't be cast in this plethora of zombie TV shows and movies that are being done right now, which is probably still true. And uh, my character um, goes to a company that actually turns you into a real zombie so you're more easily cast as a zombie. Hmm. Um, and it's, that's very it's method. Like it really is method. It's Shaun of the Dead meets The Office, I would say, is what the show is like. It's very fun. Uh, short little episodes. And um, at the time that we wrapped, the Emmys had just opened up a category for short form content. And so we submitted, I think I submitted myself, the show, uh, actress Patrika Darbo. If you guys Google her, she's been on tons of stuff. And she got nominated and won. So I got to take my mom to the Emmys. That's and amazing. On that it was crazy. It was the most surreal night. I was sitting next to RuPaul and Michelle Visage and Ryan Seacrest was in front of me. And, and actually, Ryan Seacrest was the one who did the announcement and, and gave Patrika her Emmy. And we went to the party. I got an Emmy. Being a producer, I got an Emmy as well. So yeah. I always joke. I put it in my front seat when I drive for Uber. 
No, I'm kidding. I don't drive. <laughs> but but you never know, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so it it was you crazy. Should bring yeah. it with you when you go on dates. <laughs> Just sit it there totally. at the table hey, talk as about, a centerpiece. Talk about I'm gonna I'm gonna have it like cemented <laughs> in my into my tombstone. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was life changing. It was so much fun. I got to produce like a hundred hundred people on the casting crew and and. Uh, but next season, hopefully, we're gonna have uh, musical numbers and shoot a little bit in New York. And but we'll see, we'll see. But it was great fun. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to think that web content can even be considered for an Emmy because for most people, web content is just whatever you put up on your YouTube channel or your social media. But it looks like that you right. treated this more like an like an actual production, an actual series that just happened to be distributed on the web. Correct. Well, that's how we shot it. But funny thing is, we were going up against uh, the Walking Dead web series. We were up against uh, another. We were the only independently funded show that was in the category, and we were still fortunate enough to win. So it was it was really really great for us. But I'm grateful, and um, it just uh, you know, it's funny in this career for anyone. You're supposed who wants to cry to when actor, you say you're grateful. I'm grateful. <laughs> But I, I want to thank all the little people. But, you know, it's like you you think maybe, especially at my age, you think, oh, my career is I had a great run. I've done some great things. And then something happens and you're doing this brand new thing that you never thought you would be doing again. I was not not depressed, but my career was basically I was just chugging along, doing the same thing. And then I got this play in Boston or I got this this movie gig like. If you if you keep doing it, it will keep providing to you. Hopefully, tenacity it has been you tenacity, know, right? The the next question I usually get to at this point in the podcast is, what advice do you have for people wanting to get into voiceover business now? I mean, that is great advice: is to keep at it. It really is, and it's tough. It really is tough. You have to have thick skin, but you also need to know your worth and realize that the way the industry is now. I just don't take no for an answer anymore. I just see it as a way for me to figure out another way to get what I'm going for. Do you know what I mean? It's like- Like give us an example. Well, it used to be that you would send your photos to agents, right? You would send your photos to agents to try to get an agent. So I thought that was fine. That was cute. So of course I would do the whole thing of sending a postcard or sending a gift basket or whatever. But then I started- sending the agents um and this is stupid i'm sorry everybody it's stupid but i used to send my headshot with a ruler in the envelope and on my cover page i would say i'm trust it's so dumb i'm trying to get a foot in the door sorry a foot because so it's a ruler it's a ruler just hold on People? wait take a moment so we could explain the joke for for yeah, our international kids, listeners, not, international oh, listeners on I, the metric system, I'm trying to get a, a I'm ruler. Trying to, yeah, I'm trying to get a what? has twelve inches, which comprise a foot, a which foot. is funny because it's a pun, albeit the lowest oh, form getting... of humor. Yes, it, it is a foot, a, saying, a literal yeah. foot in the door, and a figurative foot in the door. This is what I'm. Saying. All right, back to our regularly now, scheduled programming with Brian Peacock. Did they put out restraining orders? Yes. Did they was hit you with it when you came in? Did they whack you anyway, across the knuckles with that ruler, Brian I'm, Peacock? I'm just saying that, like, you you just need to you just need to have a little bit of tenacity. Do you know what I mean? Like, so this agent you can't get with. Try to get with another agency. Go to a party. Learn. 
There's just so many ways as opposed to just taking don't the just give up taking when you, the when loss. You, yes. And the other thing is too, if you are getting criticisms and critiques that seem to be consistent, then find out and kind of hone in on what those critiques are and and fix it. Address it. You know, that's a good point too. Is if it's if it is coming to you a, a certain criticism from multiple angles, different people in different circumstances, then there's some possibly some validity to it. And maybe you are the problem. <laughs> Am I? That can be. I don't yeah. think I'm the But, you problem. know, in terms of that ruler, I did the same thing when I uh, was first hunting for agents. I would uh, put my demo tape, which was a physical cassette tape, in a box yeah. of a dozen donuts and hand deliver the dozen donuts to Come the on. front desk. So good. So good. What were they called? Drop buys or whatever. You can't do that Yeah, anymore. I would drop you, in. I would physically pound the pavement and drive around Los yeah. Angeles in an old 1974 Super Beetle where the heat would never turn <laughs> That's what I had to do. Yes. There was no In there LA. was no internet back then. We didn't have smartphones, but we had feet. You had a Thomas guide and a box. I did have a to- a very well-worn Thomas guide which was a map that was as thick as a book. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I hated oh my those. Gosh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Anyway, so it, I mean, if if you want to be a voice actor, do it. Work work on it. Research, you know what I mean? And also the other thing too is I say to people, you need to let people know what it is you want, because I think it really helps to let your desires and your wishes be known. Otherwise, there might be people out there that are willing and able to help you. But if they don't know that you're open to that or looking for that, they're not going to come to you to offer. So make your desires known. Do you feel that all your posting on social media and you post a lot on TikTok, you're killing it on TikTok. Do you feel that that is helpful to you? In the voiceover field or in the conventions, or do you just do it because you you love having a little cutout stick of <laughs> of your characters that you can do voices over? <laughs> My little puppet show on TikTok. There's a couple things. So because I, I consider myself like a writer, producer, filmmaker, whatever, multi-hyphenate, doing TikTok is a fun way to make my own little movie. And people yeah. can love it or they can't, but I can do it in an afternoon and that satisfies me creatively, which is great. I totally um, get that. As, right? Like you know that's I mean? this podcast for me. You know, I'm more happy when I have created some some creative content every day. And so that's creative content for you. Yeah. But in terms yeah. of what you get and- back from it, has it led to any opportunities for you professionally? I think because my numbers are growing, I think it's led to getting a couple conventions. I think uh, the appearance of success begets success. And so I've had I've had a pretty good run with, with conventions because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the people that come to the conventions are some of the people that follow me on TikTok. I would and think, so we do I mean, I, a- I experienced that myself, but I don't have the presence. You, you have almost 2 million likes on TikTok. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, which is cool. It's really cool. And I have, cool. I have other goals that I want to get to and things I want to happen. But I mean, TikTok is just, as you know, a nightmare. Why uh, is it a nightmare? Now, I've hard, I have to say I've hardly used uh, it. And the only reason I'm on it is somebody at a convention a few months ago told me I should be on it. And I'm like, who is this, this woman, this like 19-year-old <laughs> cosplayer? Why do you have a line? Like my, I mean, I have a line, but I've been doing this for... You know, I, I've got fans from 20 years ago that have never seen me yeah. that are, who are you? And she's got five and a half million followers on TikTok from being a TikTok cosplayer influencer person. 
Anyway, she right. convinced me to start a TikTok. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be on it now. I'm pretty late to the game, honestly. I've only been doing it a few well, months. You've been in it for a while now, a couple of years, it looks about like. About a year and a half. About a year oh, and a half. Oh, that's all? But all right. I, I definitely came to the end, too. And so I can tell you that the uh, the algorithm is kind of, it's more difficult to get likes. It's more difficult to get followers. And, and, and it's all up in the air, and it's all whatever. Like, you just, you can't plan it. You can't negotiate with it. And you can't anticipate what it's going to do. So again, you just have to do what you love and see what happens. It's true. Um, some of these, some of these posts that I make there that I think are highly entertaining will get 500 views. But one that I put up last <laughs> night on a Sunday, as we we're recording yeah. this on a Monday, it had 85,000 views this morning already. So yep. it was just me signing something at a convention. But why did that one take off and not? Another one, I have no idea. It's so weird. It's true. And by the way, I love Sunday nights. Sunday afternoon tonight has been my best posting over the past really? year and a half. Just so you know. Yeah, it just works. I did not Tuesdays know that. are terrible. Yeah, people are home. They're on their phone. It just it mm -hmm. it tends to work. Um, but it has helped with people meeting people at conventions and sure. um some of my autographs and, and merchandise I sell on Streamly. And so it's kind of yes. funneled some of that action to Streamly, which has been great financially. But for the most part, it's a really cool community. And, um, you know, I worry that it, it may disappear. It could easily disappear. So, um, well, that may happen do, with Twitter, which is the only social well, media I, I personally use. I mean, I post on everything, but I personally like to use Twitter because as a voice actor, I'm into language and words. And that's what's yeah. prominent on Twitter. And it's just falling apart and people saying they're going to leave or stop posting. And, you know, for all the listeners, that's where the voiceover community is. That's where we're actually all talking to each other over is over on Twitter. It's true. It's and those are uh, for people that want to be a voice actor. Get on Twitter and follow those voice actors because it's a great resource. And I don't know about you, but um, a lot of uh, voice actors will. Uh, right back to you if you have a question or a message or whatever you know oh what a good segue what a good segue brian because now it's time for questions from the fans <laughs> on social media because i posted that this morning i said i'd be interviewing I saw you that. yeah so here's one on okay. we'll start with facebook because it's up aaron aaron ogawa who i know from cameos he has uh, he's been very active on the cameos and the Streamly, speaking of such, Aaron says, did nice. Brian have more fun voicing Takato, uh, Bokemon, or Marcus's Agumon? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, so I had probably more fun voicing Takato because it was my first series and every day was like Disneyland. I was so excited to even be there, right? Yeah. So, you know. Coming in and, and acting like Takato and doing this cool little show. That was awesome. Um, however, I was thrilled when I got to come back uh, for season four. Because, you know, once the season's over, you think you're never going to work again. Um, when I got to come back as Bokomon, keeper of the book, I was really excited because now I got to be my first Digimon, which I didn't get to do mm -hmm. in, in season four. And then in season five, I was glad because Agumon, I got to, well, I, I was working again. And I thought, you know, Agumon was cool. Right, boss? Yeah, see, I thought Tom Fawn did Agumon. I thought Tom Fawn did Agumon all the way through. He didn't. Huh. Now, has Agumon come back? Because I haven't been watching Digimon for years. Yes. Is he back? Yeah. Is it Tom? It is. Yeah. Oh. I, I think have you no just idea. did it in well, this one little subsection. And Greg, 
is now also asking, yeah. why does Marcus's Agumon sound like Takato? Okay, here we go. Hey, boss, is Agumon. Hey, everybody, is Takato. So if you think they sound like them, that's fine. That's but totally different. <laughs> Steven says, you guys have a long history of being directed by Mary McGlynn and Michael Sorich. Well, that's true. They yes. were directing a lot of those shows. Back in the day. They're back in the day. Both amazing. Michael Sorich is a crazy man, and I absolutely love him. He was actually, he played Naimon in season four of uh, Frontier with my, with my Bokomon. So that was a blast to work with him. And um, Mary Elizabeth, as you know, Joshua, that she has this amazing shorthand as a director to not give you a line reading, which is telling you what to say as an actor, but to give you certain verbal clues as to what she's looking for, and you get it. Very, she's a very sophisticated director, and it must come from theater because she understands how and because she's an actor, operate. right? I mean, right. In fact, yeah, she directed me in Wolf's Rain, which just came out on Crunchyroll again. I was Hige in that, and nice. uh, I thought that was some of the best directing I ever got as a voice actor. I need to have her on this. Yeah. Now we are yes. over to Instagram. Instagram. Ah. We got Catman6536 asks, what made you want to become a voice actor? Paying the rent. Um, <laughs> no. Yes. because Well, as I said before. It's a job. It's, like, it's a gig. I, it's a job. Well, no. As I said before, it's like I, I, it, it came at me. It, it basically was offered to me, and I didn't know what I was doing and what it was about. And so I wasn't necessarily ever looking for it, but once I started it, I didn't ever want to leave. So I'm grateful for that original opportunity. In the entertainment field, sometimes the market tells you where you are most <laughs> valued. You think you're most valued in a certain area, like you're saying you wanted to be an on-camera actor or a dancer, and the marketplace is saying, no, nope, you're really good at voices. We want you to do voice acting. Ace for radio. And gotta, yes, and that, 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 that is also... <laughs> Sometimes the case. All right, Michael on Instagram. Michael asks, would you discuss the best people in voice acting? Like, who are some of your favorite people in voice acting? Okay, us? No. Um, <laughs> yes. Present company excluded. That's, I mean, that's such a hard question, right? Because you're going to make some friends and make a lot of enemies. Um, I, I mean, there, it, it, it's... It's the usual suspects, you know, uh, Michael Sorge, Neil Kaplan, and Colleen O'Shaughnessy, and, and Sam Regal, and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, and um, it's, it's it's all the people that are working. I, and I, but I will say, I am I am really grateful to Mary Elizabeth and Jeff Nimoy. He directed uh, one of the, some of the Digimon as well, and Sorge, like all the people that started me out. Um, Jeff Nimoy and, is, uh, is episode two of this podcast for anyone that is. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's he he's an amazing director too, but all those people that that were not only uh, giving me opportunities and fun and great in their profession, but but as you said before, kind and just made the sessions really fun because that's hugely important. You've it had is, bad to keep sessions the energy before, up. I'm sure, right? Keep the energy up, keep the the just the the vibe right, you know, not tense, and, and it sometimes can get tense and and whatever, but um. And sometimes the sessions for... can be at late night hours, odd hours, and everybody's yeah. got to keep the energy and the humor going. So it's good that these yeah. are like funny people too. And they really are. Most of us, I think, come from like a comedy, improv comedy slash musical theater background. Yeah. Yep. Which and that's hugely all helps. helpful. Yeah. And finally, over to Twitter. 
Kitotia Uncle asks, oh, who is the favorite person you have voiced? Well, let's just say, what is, what is the favorite role you have voiced? Again, I probably have to say the most influential and important is Staccato, but the most fun probably is Monaco. Probably the most fun. Yeah. The killer bear from Don. It's a, it's a voice you can't get out of your head. That's what my family says. What is the craziest job that you've ever had? I was Barney the Dinosaur for about 15 years now. Not on TV, right? Uh, but what? I wore the television costume, which is a torture device. It weighs about 100 pounds. And I would do mall tours and parades. Like I you were for the official the Barney. Not, you're Correct. not talking There's a backyard birthday us. party. Yeah. No, this was the official Barney, and we and there's like three costumes that are out, right? Um, sorry, kids. And and my friend of mine was was one of the managers. He says, "Hey, do you want to go out and, and be Barney?" And I said, "Well, yeah, because you know I need to lose some weight and exercise, and I hate kids." And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it was a and you blast. like getting kicked so in the shins. Fun. I love getting kicked and thrown downstairs. And wait, would up. you do it like in a um, musical capacity, like jumping around on so stage? Barney, he has his own show, so it's like a 30-minute uh -huh. song and dance show. Um, so you're yeah. dancing around in this 100-pound costume for half an hour. And, oh you know, the God. mouth the mouth is wired to stay shut, right? And so to open it, there's a there's a bar across your mouth that's wrapped in gaff tape and duvetine, like like a ball gag kind of thing. And you bite down on that, and you go, That's very I kinky. I love you. you. Very much. It's just wrong. So, so, like, <laughs> your neck is just trashed. It was it was really, really hard. And you did that for I, 15 years. Like, yeah, I mean, on and off. On and off. I was doing Beetlejuice. Right. While I but was, but while, while I was doing Bleach and while I was doing Naruto, I was Barney the Dinosaur. You were also Barney. You heard it here first, folks, <laughs> on the VoiceOver Champions podcast. <laughs> did you, were you able to do any voices or make any sounds inside the costume? No, it was all the, you know, the approved Barney voice. It was all on mm -hmm. track. It was all on click, but I had to lip sync to it. So it was, it was like kind of the opposite of dubbing, right? I was, so I was you were a puppeteer even back then. Correct. I was a puppeteer inside yeah. a puppet. Yeah. Did oh you ever do gosh. it on ice skates? Like Barney on ice? <laughs> no. And I never no. fell during a show, but I was doing, I did a show in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, and it was like 175,000 degrees outside. Yes, it is in Florida. Before... Before the show started, I thought, I'm going to pass out. I'm going to pass out in this show. Yeah. And um, Did you? And I think I didn't, I was, but I was Ugh. terrified the whole time. Yeah. I remember the stage. The stage was about a mile away from the dressing room, so I can't walk a mile to get there. So they had me stand on the back of a golf cart in the Barney costume, uh -huh. and they drove me across the lawn. You to get the shuttled set. across. Awesome. What if yes. you have to pee in the costume? Well, good luck. No, you just hold it's it. Gonna, it's it's yeah. not going to happen. You just hold it. Yeah, yeah. it's has got to be a big ordeal. Barney. But here's the thing about me. If they asked me to do it again tomorrow, I would do You it. would still do it? Man. I you just, just described it as a torture I, device. Well, you know, sometimes I ask for it and I deserve it. So what if, there yes, you go. That's something to bring up in therapy, I guess. Yeah. So Nightman39 wants an interview between Ty and Takato. Let's oh, see. all right. All right, I'll do the Thai voice so you can do the Takato voice. Hey, Takato, it's Thai. What have you been up to all these years? Oh, you know, just collecting Social Security. You're not that old, are <laughs> you? Are you collecting it no. from someone else? 
Look, what I do is my business. How have you been? I want to circle back. I think you're taking other people's social security. Look, it's been rough. I haven't done a show in 20 years. 20 years? Are you sleeping in a box down by the river? You're working like gangbusters. Every time I turn on the show, it's another Digimon. That's true. <laughs> I don't get residuals for any of them. Da, None of da, us. Da, 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 the joke's on us. <laughs> all right. All right. And finally, awesome. Cassandra on Twitter with the final comment here. It's actually more of a comment than a question. Cassandra says, you look great. Now, she didn't say who, and therefore I will assume it is me. Thank you, Cassandra. I agree. <laughs> no, you look great, too. How do you keep your hair so full and lustrous, Brian? Oh, you know, I don't know what this is. It's, it's got so much it stuff It just in does it. that on its own? No. Hours. Hours. Hours of work. Of work. Yes. All right. Yeah. That'll, be, that'll be your little secret. So as we, as we start to wrap things up, uh, tell us, what are you working on now? What's next for Brian Beacock? Very excited. We just started uh, Bleach, Thousand Year Blood War. On oh, you Hulu. are working that on that. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm back as Yuma Chica. I'm very excited about that. Not, he's not in it tons, but he, he should be soon. Um, still doing stuff on Boruto. I'm Chojuro on Boruto. And then hopefully in January or February, you're going to be seeing me as um, Octagawa returning in Bungo Stray Dog Season 4. Uh, and then a bunch of other stuff, of course, that I can't announce, you know. But uh, doing a, a con in Mesa, Arizona, and that is Tayocon, January 6th through 8th of next year. So see me there. Coming up quick. I'll make sure to get this episode out before then. And where can people find you? Where's the best place to connect with you? For very, very weird puppet show videos, come to uh, TikTok, and that is at Monokuma Brian B. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at Brian Beacock and Twitter at Brian Beacock. All right. Well, thank this you. Thanks fun. for coming on the podcast, Brian. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. I've got a question for you. Have you ever thought about getting into voice acting yourself? If so, check out my free intro to voice acting class at voiceoverchampions.com and become a voiceover champion.